in the book of Ephesians tonight, and uh, I just found out that this was preached on just a couple weeks ago, but thankfully there are riches here enough to be mined for many sermons. So this letter is a letter that's rooted in thousands of years of God's acts in history. It opens with just an avalanche of content, and we're, we're meant to read this passage that we just heard read and to hear all of these blessings spoken of and to be left almost out of breath because the New Testament epistles and, and this passage in particular, remember, are interpreting the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So the Lord came preaching the kingdom of God and he came uh, ushering it in by his substitutionary death and by his resurrection and the apostles are writing on the heels of that as happens throughout God's acts in history, revelation follows acts of redemption. When God redeemed people from Egypt and he brought them to the promised land, then Moses wrote the Pentateuch and, and told them what it meant and, and let, left a record for people to know the Lord who had redeemed them. God redeems and then he reveals. So now he is revealing what it is that he has given to us, his church, in Christ. Um, in these letters, we have the Holy Spirit-inspired explanations and applications of Christ's life and death, and we're told what it means for us as we await his second coming. You and I don't normally begin our letters, uh, if we even write letters, with a two-paragraph-long sentence. That's what we have here. Uh, he winds up in verse 3 with, Blessed be God, and doesn't stop for breath until the end of verse 14, to the, after the last, to the praise of his glory. It's bursting at the seams with words of faith and hope and love, and it's meant to overflow in wonder and love and praise. This, this is a foundation that Paul is laying for the whole rest of the book, and everything traces its source back to the grace of Christ and the love of God and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit. And as we look at the outside of this letter, I want to ask the question of wouldn't it be beautiful and fitting if the first words that came to our mouths and to our lips when we spoke about God were praise God, that if words of praise were on our lips as readily as they are on Paul's. A couple of other letters open this way in the New Testament. We, we read in 2 Corinthians Right when Paul begins the letter, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to talk about the mercies that are available in, in Christ and about the comforts of God's love. Uh, Peter opens similarly in, in 1 Peter. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to describe God's abundant mercies and about the inheritance that we have in Christ. Similar themes to our verses tonight. And so too, this passage, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So Ephesians is opening up God's storehouses of blessing and showing us what God has given us in Christ. The Christian idea of blessedness is something fuller and richer than the world's idea of happiness. Uh, everyone wants to be happy, right? Everybody wants that fulfillment and that happiness that is offered in all corners of our society. Uh, of course, 
people define happiness in many different ways. Uh, For some, wealth is happiness. Uh, Money gives the power, uh, they think, to purchase pleasure, comfort, and all of the world's goods that they might want. Uh, For others, it's success is happiness, whether that means success in business or success of their political party or success of their ideas. Uh, They want to influence their friends and their communities and their state even, and they think that they'll be happy when they reach this goal, when they achieve success, uh, however they've defined it. And as with so many of the world's values, scripture transcends these categories uh, of happiness. Certainly we're happy in Christ, but we're more than that. Uh, The transcendent goodness of God uh, stretches the limits of our minds and it it causes us to reach for language that can uh, explain it more than just just happy. We're blessed in Christ, in the beloved. Uh, God loves us so much that he gives us something more than happiness. And if we want to know what that is and what it is to be truly happy and blessed, uh, we, we need to look no further, as Pastor Liam was telling us this morning, than the Word of God. It gives us God's instructions for His will for our life, as well as His uh, teaching on what it is to be truly happy. And all of those answers are, as is said over and over again in this passage, they're found in Christ. And It's actually, the passage tells us about blessings that have already been poured out on us by the Holy Spirit. These aren't, uh, these are blessings that have already come to we who have believed in the Lord and that they've been planned in eternity by God before the world began. Uh, This is a passage of Trinitarian depth and breadth of the whole scope of redemption. It's so broad and deep that the apostle follows it up right after verses 1 through 14. He goes into a prayer that his readers, us, might understand what he's just said. And then there's another prayer later on in chapter three. He prays that we might have the strength to comprehend the the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love. This is, these are truths that require God's assistance and his empowering uh, to understand and to plumb the depths of. So there is food here uh, for the young and for the old believers alike. We can break the passage into three sections, more or less, although it really is one big section. But for our purposes, we'll we'll break it into three. And uh, they unfold in the order of God's works. Uh, And while all of God's external works are triune works and all members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, are all working together whenever God works, nonetheless, we can see in verses three through six, especially a focus on the Father, Uh, In verses 7 through 10, a special focus on the Son. And in verses 11 through 14, a special focus on the Holy Spirit. And we might summarize the passage using a borrowed phrase from the benediction found in 2 Corinthians 13 that we hear often. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit are ours in Christ. The grace of God, the love of God, the love of God, the grace of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit belong to us in Christ Jesus. That is the key phrase. So the first thing that we see in the passage is the love of God. And think of other passages that teach us about God's love. Uh, Jeremiah 31.3 says that the love of God is an everlasting love. And this passage 
pulls back the curtain on what it is for God's love to be everlasting. From, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, the psalmist says. And from everlasting to everlasting, God has loved his people. Uh, it says here that he chose us before the foundation of the world. Verse four, he predestined us, verse five. And he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Uh, verse 11, that being especially important, that all things work according to the counsel of God's will. There is nothing outside of the scope of God's decree and God's plan. This is a great comfort for the believer, as we'll see. Uh, Paul is teaching us that from all eternity, God decreed the salvation of his people. From all eternity, God is a God who is not disinterested or unconcerned with mankind. He decreed that people from all nations and all languages and all ethnicities from every corner of the world would become his children and members of his church, his people. From all eternity, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would be a son and a daughter of God. And that is at the foundation of what's being said here. All, all of God's salvation blessings can be traced back to the electing love and grace of God. We see several applications of this doctrine of election right, out, right on the surface of this passage. They're right there in front of us. God chose us so that we would be holy and blameless before him, verse four. Uh, he had in mind the purpose that because of his sovereign love and grace, we would in turn turn and, and be holy and blameless, be like him, uh, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. It was his purpose, verse 10, that all things would be united in him, in Christ. He, God intended for Christ to be the head of a new creation and the king over it. Uh, God reigns over the whole world, certainly by his providence, uh, he is in a special way as king of his church, of his people who submit to his rule and who follow him. Uh, and God is uniting all things in him that we read in other places in scripture that that is the glory that we're looking to when Christ returns. And most of all, God chose us so that we might be to the praise of his glory. This refrain is repeated three times in the passage, to the praise of his glorious grace. And in fact, that's where it ends. So in short, the doctrine of election is a source of praise and it's a reason for holiness. Uh, our holiness isn't forced obedience to an arbitrary law. No, no, it's a loving response to the love of God. We love because he first loved us. Uh, and we know that, in fact, we couldn't love if he had not first loved us. We know that the effects of the fall of our first parents and us with them is such that we are deprived of all good and all will toward God and we need God to reach in and save us. And, and these are words of comfort for all that salvation is available, as we'll see, in Christ because of the love of God, because God has acted to save. Now, on top of that, because our salvation originates in and is caused by God's eternal decree, that purpose that he had from all eternity, we can be assured that whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. This makes it definite and certain. Our faith in the Lord Jesus is rooted in the eternal love of God. Uh, and all of our fruits, therefore, uh, also have that same source. We, we know that 
Romans 11 says that from him and through him and to him are all things. That is to say that our redemption originates in the love of God and that the fruits of obedience that we bear return back to God in praise. That from God comes our our love and our faith and our obedience and then back to him we give uh, a sacrifice of thanksgiving and of praise. Um, So the love of God then resounds throughout these verses. Perhaps even more loudly, though, we hear about the grace of Christ, uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, but especially uh, repeated in these verses is the grace of Christ. And it's emphasized again and again and again by the words, in him, or in Christ, or in the beloved. Uh, That's the backbone running through this entire first half of Ephesians 1 and and really through all of Paul's letters that uh, the little phrase in Christ, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a page on uh, any epistle of Paul that doesn't have this phrase in one shape or another. Um, Dozens of times it's mentioned throughout the epistles. Uh, So what does it mean that we're in Christ, uh, that the believer is in Christ Paul unpacks this doctrine of union with Christ more for us in in Romans chapter 6 is where he writes about being united in a death like his and being united also with him in a resurrection like his. He tells us that our old man, our old self is crucified with Christ, um, that we are united with him in his death and his resurrection by faith in him. Now, one implication of this doctrine is that our salvation isn't, uh, it's not like a basket of blessings that we sort of pick and choose from or that, that God gives us and then we have this salvation that's um, disconnected from God himself. It's, it's more that salvation is God giving us himself in Christ and uniting us to Christ by the Holy Spirit. So when we, when we get salvation, what we're getting is Jesus himself and, and we're being made his uh, salvation is nothing less than a sinner dead in trespasses and sins being crucified with Jesus and being raised to new life by power of his resurrection. He, Jesus had to die and rise for us to be saved. Of course, we, we confess that and we believe it. The, uh, this doctrine of union with Christ shows us why it has to be. It, it is his death and his resurrection that we are united to. So when the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ by working faith in us, the death and resurrection of Christ become our death to sin and our new life in the spirit. So we can say with Paul that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Uh, What do we receive then when we are united to Christ? What is it that we we get? Uh, The answer is found in the opening verse of our passage. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places what could be greater than every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Who has better blessings than the God who made heaven and earth and who made everything that we have and who gave us everything that we own? He, he has every blessing that we might ever want and ever need, and he knows exactly what we need. And he lays it all out for us and shows us and teaches us, explains what was accomplished when Christ died and rose. Uh, and the list is impressive. It starts with adoption. We've received adoption and we're given the right to be called sons and daughters of God. We receive redemption through Christ. 
Uh, He's our redeemer who delivers us from the bondage of sin. Uh, He's the redeemer who satisfies the law's demands and penalties. And he's our redeemer who lived and died as our vicarious substitute. He he stood in our place as the lamb of God. Uh, Our sin was transferred to him and his righteousness was transferred to us. The Each of these blessings here in this passage are unfolded in chapters and chapters elsewhere in scripture. What Paul is doing here is giving us a summary statement of all of these blessings that come to us in Christ and he's letting us just, uh, letting them wash over us and have the cumulative force uh, all piled into one. Um, If you've been a Christian for a long time and and many of these these, uh, blessings are familiar, the adoption, the redemption, uh, and the inheritance that we have in Christ. What, what this passage does is it, is it allows us to see all of those blessings at once and to turn them back to God and use them to praise his glory. So uh, not only do we have that redemption in Christ, we have an inheritance. Because the son of God, who is infinitely rich, became poor, he became a poor Judean carpenter, And he was rejected by his relatives. He was rejected by his neighbors and his fellow Jews. We, through his poverty, are made rich. We have an inheritance reserved in heaven for us. Peter describes the inheritance uh, as something that is kept in heaven for us while God uh, keeps us by his power until that salvation is revealed in the last time. So, these are spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, uh, Paul says, uh, They're things that we have the foretaste of now, but that we will receive the full enjoyment of in heaven. Uh, As as Paul writes in Colossians, uh, we've been raised with Christ. And the application, one application, is that we are to seek those things that are above. Uh, Set your affections, he says, not on on, uh, things on the earth, but on things above. Um, What this does is it reorients our lives toward God and as a result, as the rest of this book shows, that sort of heavenly mindedness only makes us of more and more earthly good. The the two go hand in hand and and this passage is giving us grounds to seek the Lord first and then to seek uh, his kingdom here as a result of our seeking of him. Uh, So we have the grace of Christ, we have the love of God, and we see that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is given to us. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, Paul calls him. Now, what do we mean that he's the guarantee? Well, we can think of, I think of a king giving a signet seal back in an ancient times on, on a document that ensures that the promise will be kept. God has set his seal on us by giving us the Holy Spirit and he has ensured that Uh, What he has promised, he will make good on. He has promised that we will have an inheritance with him in heaven. He has promised that we will see him one day. Now we know in part, but then we will know in full. The Holy Spirit testifies to our spirits that that that, that is true. Um, So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God are sealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And and this is a grounds for assurance. As I said earlier, uh, the love of God and the electing love of God gives us a foundation to know that our salvation is secure. If our salvation rested in our own righteousness or even in our own faith, 
Uh, if, if that were the ultimate ground of our salvation, we, we would be uncertain uh, whether it, our, faith would, our faith would hold. The only thing that we can be certain that will hold uh, through our life, through our, uh, any struggles that we go through, any challenges that rock our faith, uh, though our faith is, is rocked by the, the trials that we cannot even foreknow beforehand, we know that God will not be shaken by our trials. Uh, so our, because our salvation is rooted in his love, we know that it will hold. So, as I said, these blessings are mentioned one after another, after another, and we're meant to feel them all together. Paul, Paul is laying the grounds for the rest of the letter. He's going to go on in chapter 2 to explain in more detail how we have died and risen again with Christ. He'll explain uh, that uh, what happened when Christ died and when, when we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. He'll also show in chapter 2 how the redemption purchased by Christ has united Jews and Gentiles. Uh, in chapter 3, he's going to explain the unfolding of God's plan of salvation through redemptive history. In chapter 4, he's going to turn to teach about the unity of the church and about her purpose and work. He's going to talk about individual Christians' task of sanctification, putting off the old man and putting on the new. He's about putting on new ways of living uh, in the realms of uh, contentment and godly conversation and sexual purity, uh, being faithful to husbands and wives, to each other, uh, children being faithful and obedient to their parents, uh, servants and obeying their masters and employees uh, being obedient to their employers. He's going to talk about engaging in spiritual warfare in chapter 6. All of these things, in order to not be moralism detached from God's grace, have their root in the love of God, and they are fruits of the, fellow, of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. This, there's a reason that Paul starts where he does to get where he's going to go. Uh, it's often we talk in, about the indicatives and imperatives of Scripture, and there's no better example of those indicatives and imperatives, that, that is, of the, the statements Scripture makes and the commands that it gives then the book of Ephesians, chapters one through three, tell us who we are in Christ. I think there's only one imperative in, in the whole section and it's to remember in, in chapter two. Other than that, no commands are given until chapter four, after God, uh, Paul has said what God has done for us. So there's a reason that he unfolds things that way. It's to show us the grounds of our salvation and of our life of obedience in the love of God. So one of the most important applications then of all of this is that we need to meditate on the works and the attributes of God. We want the praises recorded by Paul here to be the worshipful response of our own hearts uh, to our God and his word and his works. When we pray, hallowed be thy name every Sunday morning, we're praying for ourselves and for each other around us in worship to honor and glorify God with our thoughts and our words and our deeds. And, and when we confess to not having done that, this prayer of hallowed be your name is, is what we're trying to make by the Holy Spirit more and more our desire that, that God would be glorified for what he has done for us. Uh, God deserves nothing less as our creator and as our redeemer. Uh, we want all of our talk about God to be to the praise of his glory. So this is the application for all of us who know 
to be blessed in the beloved for those who know the Lord Jesus. But maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus. You don't, this isn't familiar to having experienced what it means to know the love of God in Christ. And if that is you, then these verses hold the best news that you will ever hear in your life. Every spiritual blessing, eternal life with God forever, forgiveness from all wrongdoing and sin is found in Christ, in Christ alone, and it is available to sinners. Christ died to save sinners, and if you meet that criteria, the offering of the gospel is for you. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The certainty of that salvation, as, as I've said, is secured by God's eternal decree, by his uh, sovereign purpose. He has uh, provided a redeemer, uh, sufficient for our salvation. And he tells us that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So won't you call upon him today if you haven't? He's the greatest gift ever given. And for those who know him, uh, want to sing to the praise of his glory uh, and give thanks for the works that he has done. So let's do that together. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we, your children, give you praise and thanks for making us your own. Lord, we know that our status as sons and daughters of God is secured by your work, Lord. You, you have initiated our salvation and you have secured it by a redeemer. By him we have the right and the privilege to be your children, Lord. Let this not be uh, something that is rote or taken for granted by us. I pray that we would rejoice in your salvation anew today and that your grace would carry us through this week uh, changing the way that we live and changing the way that we speak, changing the way that we think so that uh, we would be to the praise of your glorious grace. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.